Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you're here and you don't have a copy of God's Word and you would like a copy of God's Word, let us know. Just put that down on your communication card and we would be happy to make sure that you get a copy of God's Word, the Bible. We've been talking about spiritual warfare for the last couple of weeks. And I've told you that every person on planet earth is engaged in a war. When you were born, you were born at war with God because of your sin. But when we as believers surrender our lives to Jesus' cross and we lay down our arms at the foot of the cross, God declares peace with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand at the same time that God declares peace with us Satan declares war with us. And now one day we will be able to lay down all of our weapons for good and, and there will be no more battle, there will be no more war. We will be at home with our Heavenly Father, but we're not there yet. The Bible says right now we are living behind enemy lines. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. The Bible says that, that this world is not our home. We're strangers here. We're aliens here. But understand, our mission while we are here living behind enemy lines is not just to survive. Our mission is to thrive. Our mission is to win. Our mission is to take new ground. Our mission is to set captives free. Now, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, first of all, about our enemy. And we discovered that our enemy is Satan. He uses the world. He uses the flesh. And he has an army of fallen angels that we call demons. And, and the Bible in Ephesians 10 tells us that they are rulers and they are authorities and they were powers in heavenly forces. And Satan's desire in his evil, wicked army, their desire is to kill us and and steal from us and destroy us. Last week, we discovered the, the tactics, the strategy that the enemy uses. And we discovered that he attacks our mind with lies. He attacks our flesh by tempting us to, to fulfill legitimate desires in, in illegitimate ways. He attacks our will with pride, the desire to, to be God, the desire to be in control. And he does, attacks our body with suffering. But today I want us to begin to talk for a little bit, today and the next week, about how we fight the battle. How we take the fight to Satan. And so we're going to talk about how we dress for battle. And so in your Bibles, let's begin with verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly or spiritual realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now this morning as we begin to to discover how we take the fight to Satan, I want us to discover three things about the victory that God wants us to have. Here's the first thing. The power we need for victory comes from above. It doesn't come from within. Notice what Paul said here in verse 10. He said, finally be strong. What? In the Lord. And in whose power? His mighty power. You see, if you're going to ever experience victory... In spiritual warfare, you must understand that the victory is not based on our power. It is based on His power working in us and through us. Now listen very carefully. The Bible never tells us that it is hard to live the Christian life. I want you to know that. The Bible never tells us it's hard to live the Christian life. The Bible tells us it is impossible to live The Christian life. You can't do it on your own. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need to be born again. That's why you need the Holy Spirit living in you. Because it is only through His power that we can ever experience victory in life. If I could ever live the victorious life on my own, I would never need God. And that's the problem. That many of us are having today. We are fighting the enemy in our power. And because of that, we are continually being defeated by the enemy. When David was about to to defeat Goliath in, in that valley and he was going to cut off his head. This is what David said. He said, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spirit. Or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Did you hear what David said? He said we're not going to defeat Goliath. We're not going to defeat the entire Philistine army. Based upon our power. The spears that we have. The swords that we have. The the rocks that we throw in our slings. We are going to beat the army of the Philistines through God's power. The battle belongs to the Lord. When Sennacherib, the the king of Assyria, marched his army into Judah, and he was ready to take that land captive, and, and they were preparing to be attacked, Hezekiah, who was the godly king of Judah, said this, He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than is with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Listen very carefully. It's not 
my power. It's not your power. It's not our combined power that gives us the victory. God fights for us. He doesn't want you to do the fighting. He wants to fight through you, and he wants to fight for you. So, so how can we experience God's power in our lives? I want you to listen to what Daniel said. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, he said, The people who know their God shall be strong and do great things. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great things. And so my question is, do you know him? Do you really know him? The knowledge that that Daniel was talking about in this passage is not talking about the kind of knowledge that you gain sitting in a classroom. He's not talking about the kind of knowledge that that you attain from, from reading a book. He's talking about the knowledge that you gain through spending time with God. Personally, privately, intimately. Sherry and I can go on a marriage retreat, and we can sit in a conference center with with hundreds and thousands of people, and we can learn some great truths that can help us in our marriage. But listen very carefully. We will never gain intimacy by going to a conference and listening to someone teach. We can learn some principles We can learn some practices, but we will gain intimacy with one another when we get alone with one another and we begin to communicate on a deeper level, finding out what what it is that, that makes each of us smile. What is it that makes each of us laugh? What is it that makes each of us cry? And you see, that's how we get to know God. It's not through reading a book about God. It's spending time with God on an intimate level where you are learning the heart of God. And you are discovering what is it that makes God smile. What is it that breaks God's heart? And so I would ask you, do you know him? Is his power working in you and through you? The Apostle Paul said that it is God who works in you, giving you both the desire, that is, he changes what you want, and giving you the power to do what pleases him. God works in us, giving us both the desire and the power to do what God wants us to do. You see, the power we need for victory in spiritual warfare doesn't come from willpower, It comes from God's power. Here's the second truth. Spirit-filled prayer connects us with God's power. Look down at verse 18. It says, and pray in the Spirit. Now, that passage actually says, praying always in the Spirit with all kinds of requests and prayers. So we pray always In the Spirit, pray in all kinds of requests and all kinds of prayers. And so my question for you this morning is this. Are your prayers spirit-filled? Are your prayers spirit-directed 
prayers. For some of us, prayer is nothing more than a habit that we go through before we eat a meal or before we get ready for bed at night. We, we pray kind of like people sing the national anthem at a ball game. You sing the national anthem, but it has nothing to do with what's going on on the field. It's just a formality that you go through before the game begins. And that's how a lot of us look at prayer. It's just a formality we go through in our busy lives. The reason many of us don't pray today is because we really don't feel deep down inside that we need God or God has become our 911 number that we call in case of an emergency. And understand, that kind of prayer is never going to give you power when you are fighting a spiritual battle. For other people, prayer is nothing more than bringing our selfish desires to God. When we come before God and, and it's kind of like looking at a, a wish book at Christmas time. God, I want this, and God, I want this, and God, I want this. But, but prayer is so much more than that. You see, biblically, prayer connects us with the presence of God. We, we enter into God's presence through prayer. And as we enter into the presence of God, we are then connected to the power of God. You see, prayer can do anything that God can do. And, and God can do anything because God is all-powerful. Now, now, this is the last thing Paul deals with when he's talking about spiritual warfare, but he's not dealing with it last because it's the least important. The reason he deals with it last, the reason he concludes speaking about prayer is because the battle is actually fought in the spiritual realm. You see, you aren't getting ready for battle when you pray. You are in the battle when you pray. Spiritual war is not fought on our feet. Spiritual war is fought on our knees. That's where the battle is fought. And therefore, the enemy is going to do anything and everything in his power to keep you from praying. Everything else we do is powerless. Unless we are bathing, we are soaking, we are marinating what we are doing in prayer. Now, some of you may say, well, why do we need to pray? God knows what we need before we ask it. And so won't God just give me what I need? Won't God do what God needs to do without me even asking? And, and I can't answer that question in a really good way in the short amount of time we've got. But let me just address it this way. When God created man, God created us to rule over creation. He told us in his word that when he created us, he put us in the garden. And he said, rule over it and subdue it. But God also created us with free will. As we rule over things and we make choices about life, God gives us the ability to either include him or leave him out of the choices we make. And so God does not force his will upon us. God does not force his best upon us. We can live apart from God's 
best. He gives us freedom to choose what we want to do. That's why I love Tony Evans' definition of spiritual warfare praying. This is what Tony Evans said. He said, prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference because God created us with a free will. Prayer is that conduit whereby we say to God, God, intervene in my life. Work on my behalf. Now, now what do we ask for? Does this mean that, that we have a, a see it and believe for it mentality in our prayer life, a name it and claim it mentality? Absolutely not. Because you need to understand that biblically, God's not going to give you something that God doesn't want to give you. So, so the Bible is never saying, and the Bible never teaches that, that I can stand up and say, God, I want that BMW. Give it to me. That's what some people teach. But the Bible never says that. God, I want a life without sickness. Bible never says God's going to promise that to you. As a matter of fact, sickness is a part of life in a fallen world. We need to understand those things. And yet at the same time, there are thousands of promises in God's Word that God says, here is what I want to do for you. But yet God is waiting for you to ask him to intervene in your life and do the things that he wants to do for you. And there are many things in life that go undone simply because we do not give God permission to intervene in our situation, to intervene in our circumstances. So what is our job? Our job is to discover what God has already promised in his word and ask for those things. Our job is to discover God's divine desires in heaven and pray that they will be done on earth. I think Jesus taught us that. He said pray that his will will be done on earth as it already has been done in heaven. You see, Jesus is saying that there are these things that God wants to do and they have already been given permission to be done. He wants to do them on earth, but we need to pray through and ask God to do those things. So am I praying based on the promises of God, the the desires of God? That spirit-led praying. And spirit-led praying connects us with the power of God. So the first thing, spiritual victory is not discovered by fighting in my power, but fighting in his power. Second, when I learn to pray spirit-directed prayers, it will connect me with the power of God. But here's the third thing. If I want to experience spiritual victory, I must put on the full armor of God. Look at verse 11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, go there. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now that phrase, put on, is one Greek word that's in the aorist imperative, which simply means this. It is a command to put on and keep on. God is saying, 
You must put this on and you must keep this on if you're going to experience victory in spiritual warfare. And now notice what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to take your stand. He tells us that twice. In other words, God's saying you can't leave off a single piece of the armor. Because if you leave off a single piece, you are leaving yourself vulnerable to the enemy's attack. Now, we're going to look at the first three pieces of armor that we're going to put on this morning. Now, the first thing he tells us to put on is the belt of truth. Put around your waist the belt of truth. Satan attacks our minds with what? With lies. And we battle Satan by putting on the belt of truth. We defend ourselves against the lies of Satan by stabilizing our life with the truth. In Paul's day, a Roman soldier would wear a thick belt that that held everything together. And that's what truth does. Truth holds everything together. I am convinced... That truth is the most important piece of armor because without it, we will never have the stability we need. We will be swayed in every direction as we hear the latest theories, as we hear the latest philosophies, as we hear the latest social ideas about what is right and what is wrong. Now, truth is an absolute standard. Truth is an absolute standard by which all things are measured. Now, today we hear people say there there is no such thing as absolute truth. Or occasionally you'll hear someone say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. But understand, by its definition, truth is truth. Regardless of whether you feel it, regardless of whether you think it, Regardless of what the facts may say in front of you. The truth is the truth regardless. Let me give you an example. Two plus two equals what? Four. Two plus two is going to always equal what? Four. And so you have to determine, is that truth or is that a lie? Well, that's the truth. Now, I could stand up before you and I could say two plus three equals Four. Is that truth or is that a lie? That's a lie. Let me just tell you, you asked your kids and your grandkids to put that on their math test in the first grade, the second grade. I don't know when they do that now, kindergarten. They're going to miss the question because two plus three is never going to equal four. The truth is two plus two equals four. That's the truth. It will always be the truth. Now, some will say, Rocky, how can you say that something can be truth regardless of what the facts may say? Well, let me give you another example. Say I go home this afternoon and I've got a splitting headache. It's one of those debilitating headaches. I I can't even function. I I feel nauseous and and I need to turn all the lights off and I feel like I I just can't do anything. So I go to bed. I I take 26 Advil, you know, not that many. But I, I, take a, I take some Advil, however many you're supposed to take, and, and I wake up and my head's still killing me. And I take more, and I wake up and my head's still killing me. And for several days, my headache is just 
healing me. So I go to the doctor, they do an MRI, and they discover that I have a brain tumor. Now, the fact was, I had a headache. That's the fact. But you see, I could have the facts and not know the truth. The truth was, I had a brain tumor that was causing the headache. And unless I know the truth behind the fact, I will never treat the truth properly. Or I'll never treat the fact properly. I've got to know the truth behind the fact to truly understand the fact. And so understand, just because you know the facts doesn't mean that you understand the truth. Truth is always truth. If you don't know the truth, it's still the truth. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that there are people who are always learning, but they never come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul tells us there are some who reject the truth. They know the truth, and yet they reject it. In Romans 1, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. In chapter 2, he says those who are self-seeking and reject the truth follow evil. He tells us that they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And those, there are people out there who have heard the truth, they know the truth, and yet they reject it. And then there are other people today in our society who oppose the truth. Paul said in 2 Timothy, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so there are men today who oppose the truth. So how do we determine truth? Listen very carefully. We don't. You say, how do you determine truth? You don't. The truth determines the truth. Truth is the standard to which everything else must conform if it is indeed truth. It is the ultimate standard. Truth cannot change because we don't like it. Truth cannot be adjusted because our feelings or our hopes or our desires go against it. Truth is truth, period. Now, what is truth? Here's what the Bible says. God is truth. God is truth. God transcends all else. He is the originator of all else. God is the ultimate source. Therefore, He is truth. And everything else must measure up to what He says. Because He transcends everything. He is the ultimate truth. When Jesus was praying in John 17, verse 17, He said, Father, sanctify them Through your truth, your word is truth. Jesus said, you can know the truth, and the truth can set you free. You see, in other words, it is God who determines truth. You don't determine what is true. God does. And so what that means is it doesn't matter what you think on an issue. It doesn't matter your opinion on an issue. It doesn't matter how you feel about an issue. God determines truth. And His truth is revealed in His Word. Listen, if you don't have that absolute standard of truth, the enemy 
is going to defeat you. Tony Evans uses the, the movie The Inception to illustrate this. If you've seen the movie, it's a, it's a hard movie to follow, but, but it's a movie about uh, this man played by Leonard DiCaprio who, who is able to enter into people's dreams and manipulate what they do. But as the movie progresses, he not only enters into their dreams, he is able to enter into their dreams' dream. Now, now, now stay with me. As the movie progresses, he's not only able to enter into their dreams' dream, he is able to enter into their dreams' dreams' dream. And by the end of the movie, he is literally able to enter into not only the dreams' dream and the dreams' dreams' dream, but he is able to enter into the dreams' 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 dream. He is able to enter into their dream to the fourth power. And because the dreams are so real, people get caught in the dream. And they never return to reality because they don't know whether they are in reality or they're in the dream. And so to protect yourself while you are in the dream, you have to have something outside of the dream so that you can know what is reality. And for Leonard DiCaprio, it is a spinning top. Before he goes into a dream, he spins a top. And in the dream, if he looks at the top and the top is spinning and never stopping, he knows that he's still in the dream. But if he looks at the top and the top spins, but then it eventually loses power and it falls... He knows he is in reality. Now, how do you determine reality? How do you determine truth? Every one of us have a way. And the Bible says God is the source of truth. You've got to put that on. God's Word determines truth. Here's the second thing you put on. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. Satan attacks our minds with lies, but he attacks our flesh with temptation. And we defend ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is the standard that God requires to please him. You need to understand that. Write it down. Righteousness is the standard that God requires to please him. Now, it is truth that gives us the standard. Righteousness is when we are operating in that standard. When you have the truth, then you can make the right decision. You can make the righteous decision. Now, the Bible speaks of righteousness in two ways. There is positional righteousness and there is practical righteousness. Now, we're told positionally that our absolute best is but filthy rags. Our righteousness is but filthy rags before God. In other words, on your own, your righteousness will measure, never measure up to the standard of God. But when we humbly come to God, acknowledging our lack of righteousness, our inability to live in a way that pleases Him, when we come to that point where we understand that he loves us and he died for us and we humbly ask him to save us, he takes our sin off of us 
And the Bible says that he places his righteousness on us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to what it says. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus sin. Our sin was taken off of us, placed upon Jesus. And in return, when we have humbled ourselves before God, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and places it upon us. And we are positionally made righteous with God. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And understand, Satan can never take that away from you. When you have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, no one, no one on earth, no one in the spiritual realm can ever take that away from you. But what Satan will do is he will seek to keep you from living that righteous life. You see, I can be positionally righteous. I can be made right with God through Jesus, and yet I can be practically very sinful. That's why the Apostle Paul said, do not let sin reign in your mortal lives. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul said, flee evil desires, pursue righteousness. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you in your home Keep trash laying around. Food that you haven't eaten, garbage, and you don't put it in your trash compactor, you don't put it in your trash can, and and eventually tie it up and take it out. If you just leave trash laying around all over the place, it's going to get nasty, isn't it? It's going to get smelly, isn't it? And you do know, don't you, that if you leave that trash laying around, not only are you going to have the trash that you have to deal with, the nasty, smelly trash, but you're going to have to deal with the unwanted guest that the trash attracts. Because when you have trash in your home that you're not putting in its proper place, all of a sudden you're going to discover that this trail of ants are coming into your home. And you're going to discover these nasty, filthy animals called roaches. And they're going to be crawling all over the place. And you're going to be looking at these nasty roaches and these ants. And you're going to say, I don't want these. And you may not want them, but you've invited them. Because you've got trash all over your house. Then you say, what are you talking about? When we have undealt with sin in our life, it's like trash. And it creates stinky, smelly problems in our life. But not only does it create stinky, smelly problems, it also invites unwanted guests. Demons. You say, Rocky, you're joking. No, listen to me. When we invite trash, sin into our life, and we don't deal with it, dispose of it, get clean from it, we are inviting the spiritual forces of darkness into our life to oppress us and, hear me, to control us. 
And that's the reason that some of you are in bondage right now. Because you've got all of this trash and you say, I don't want this trash. Well, the problem is, is that you're not dealing with the trash and now you've got the demons of the trash that you've got to deal with as well. And so we've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we go back to that verse where Paul said that, that it is God who works in you, giving you not only the desire, but the power to do what pleases him. You see, God working in you will give you the power to live a righteous life. Then you say, what are acts of unrighteousness? Well, read the Bible. You can go to 1 Corinthians 6 and you can find works of unrighteousness. You can go to Galatians 5 and, and you can see works of unrighteousness. And, and when we allow these things and other sinful things into our life, we are, we are asking to be defeated by the enemy. And so we put on the belt of truth, the ultimate standard, which is God, that guides and directs us. We let him be truth in our life because he is truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that positionally we've been made right in God's eyes, but recognizing that through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we are to live righteous lives. But then finally, we're to put on the gospel of peace. And this isn't talking about salvation because Paul is talking to those who have already been saved. He is saying that we need to put on the peace that comes from the gospel. You see, the Bible says that Satan attacks our body with suffering. And when suffering comes... We are able to defend ourselves with the gospel of peace. Now, a Roman soldier would wear these sandals that were studded on the bottom with nails, almost like cleats, like baseball cleats. And, and they would allow you to be stable, to stand your ground. And the Bible says that the gospel does that for us. Now, understand, the Bible speaks of peace in multiple ways. There's peace with God. That's talking about salvation. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. When through our faith we have trusted Jesus to be our Savior, we have peace with God. But then there is the peace of God. In Colossians 3 it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Jesus said, I told you these things so that you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take heart. I've overcome this world. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts. You see, the peace of God that comes from the gospel of God guards our hearts in the storms of life. I want you to listen. I am convinced that one of the indicators that we've really experienced the gospel is not only that we have peace with God, but we have the peace of God. 
We're able to go through the storms that this world throws upon us. We are able to face the suffering that is poured on us knowing God is on his throne. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone through a time of terrible suffering? And supernaturally, because that's what it is, the peace of God that passes your ability to comprehend begins to guard your heart. Everybody in the world is saying, you should be giving up, you should throw in the towel Everybody else is saying, this isn't fair. Somehow, some way, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the heartache, your heart is guarded by peace because you truly have experienced the gospel. The good news. Because understand, the gospel does give us good news for here and now. But the gospel is primarily good news forever. In other words, regardless of what we face now, we have hope. This isn't the end. We have overcome. How can we say that we have overcome when when the enemy is crucifying us and defeating us and putting us to death? Because we've experienced the gospel. And our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is beyond this world. It's out of this world. To be honest with you, it doesn't make sense to this world. You see, that's what the gospel truly experienced can do for you. Give you peace in the midst of the storms of life. God never says that he's going to keep you out of the storm. As a matter of fact... He promised you're going to face some storms. But he said, in the midst of the storm, I'm going to be with you. And I'll give you peace that blows the minds of those around you. They can't understand it. Because it's out of this world. It's supernatural. God can give you that. And so when Satan attacks our minds with lies, what do we do? We hold on to the absolute standard of truth that is defined in God. When Satan attacks our flesh with temptation, what do we do? We put on the breastplate of righteousness knowing that his power in us will give us the ability to live a life that is pleasing to him. So we don't go out and live like the world. We live different. From the world. How do we fight against the suffering that attacks our body, the bodies of those we love? Well, He gives us peace that is grounded in the hope that comes from the gospel 
and we're able to make it through because we know this world isn't our home. We've got something far better to look forward to. And so let me ask you a question. Are you experiencing victory? Are you? Well, if you're not, then most likely you're operating in your power, not his power. And I want to challenge you today, stop it because you're never going to win. You're not praying spirit-directed prayers, discovering the promises of God, and then going to the throne of God saying, God, this is what you've said. I'm trusting you to do it. My wife and I are praying for people to be saved that are near and dear to us. Believing that God's going to do it. Why? Based upon the promise of God's word. God's not desiring that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And so we believe that if that's God's desire, that's God's will, we can pray it boldly and ask him to intervene and do whatever it takes to bring them to Christ. Are you wearing the armor of God? Are you allowing God to set the standard or or you or his culture or someone else? Are you living the righteous life he wants you to live? Do you have that peace that comes from the gospel that passes understanding? I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to invite you today. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, first of all, that's what you need to do. And if you're here and you know, I need to do that. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to quit fighting against him. Then I want to encourage you today to surrender. You can do that through praying a prayer like this. Dear God, forgive me. I don't want to live separated from you anymore. I don't want to play God. I know you are God. Forgive me for my sins. My self-centered living. My selfish desires. I believe you died on the cross to save me and forgive me. I believe you rose from the grave to defeat sin and defeat death on my behalf. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life and take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. Here's what I want you to do for just a moment. We're in a war. It's a real war. And I believe with all my heart, there are some areas that we've talked about today that are very personal to you. It may have to do with truth. It may have to do with righteousness, peace. It could have to do with prayer or could have to do with whose power you're operating in. But I want you to take a moment right now where you're at and just go to God. Those areas that you need to deal with, those areas that you need to address, turn them over to him right now.
Don't let your mind wander. Let God speak. Father God, we know that you did not save us so that we would go through this life being defeated day in, day out by the enemy. You saved us. You empowered us through the Holy Spirit to give us the victory in life. Give us the victory. If it's armor we need, I pray we'll put it on. If it's prayer we've been lacking, I pray we'll lift up those spirit-directed, spirit-filled prayers. If it's your power that we've been missing, let us recognize that it's not our power but yours. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.